All right, we are together this morning in the book of First John, if you'd like to turn there with me. First John, and we're in chapter 2. First John, chapter 2. If this is your first time with us, or if, you, uh, if you're new to Fellowship Renewed Church, uh, we began at the beginning of First John, First John chapter 1, verse 1, and we have come up to chapter 2, verse 3, and, and uh, I believe this is our sixth week in the book of First John so far. Before that, we were in the book of Philippians. We spent 40 weeks in the book of Philippians, so that was a great time together. Uh, but now we're in 1 John, and we're starting at the beginning, and we're working all the way through all three letters of John. That's what we're doing on Sunday mornings together. Okay, so we're this morning in 1 John chapter 2, and we're beginning in verse 3 together. And it says, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Okay, so as we begin in verse 3 today, I think there's a couple of initial questions that we need to ask about our text, some preliminary understanding, because what we want most is we want to hear the word of God, we want to understand the word of God, and in hearing and understanding that the Lord would bring conviction to our hearts and to our minds that these things are true. And so what is being said here in this first verse? It says, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Two questions really reach out to us here at first. And the two questions are, what does it mean to know God? And what does it mean to keep his commandments? Those are really the two things that we want to know here at first. What does it mean to know God? Simple enough. What does it mean to keep his commandments? Because all of us in this room, I would hope, want to do both of these things. We want to know God. We want to say that we know God. And we want to confirm that to be true by keeping his commandments. But what does this mean, and what is John's intention here for us? How should we understand it? Let's take first, by this we know that we have come to know him. What does it mean to know God? According to John, what exactly does it mean to know God? We can know a couple of things. I want to uh, take you back to verse 3 in chapter 1. Just look there with me. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Again in verse 6, look down just to verse 6 in chapter 1. It says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. A very similar thing is being said here, isn't it, in chapter 2, verse 3, verses 3 through 6. Okay, so what does this mean? This is very simple. So to know God is to have personal fellowship with him, and we saw that in 1 John 3 and verse 6. But how do you have fellowship with God? If to know God is to have personal fellowship with God, how do you have fellowship with God? The only way to have personal fellowship with him is how? By faith in his son, Jesus I want to read for you just John 14 from John's gospel now, chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. Listen to what it says. You're going to know this. 
Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And so from now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Tell me, how does one get to have fellowship with the Father? How does one come to the Father? There's only one way. There are not multiple ways. There's only one way. There's one singular, exclusive way to the Father, and that is by faith in his Son. So what does it mean to know God? Well, seems as though to know God means to be a genuine, professing believer in Jesus Christ, one who has fellowship with God. What does it mean that a person has come to know him? They have come to saving faith. Here's what John wants his readers to understand here at first. If you say you know him, we want to know, how, how do you know that the person is, is right in saying that? How do I know that I am right in saying that I know God? I always like this idea of surveys, hypothetical surveys. Maybe one day I'm actually going to do one of these surveys I talk about. But as you came in the door this morning, if I were to give a survey and say, do you know God, yes or no? I bet we probably would have had 100% yes. That's my guess. Unless there's just someone who has just been cut to the heart and they're honest, right? I, listen, I admit it. I admit that I don't know God, but I'm here to see what this is all about. Maybe, maybe you would answer that way. But I bet that most of us would say, yes, I know God. And I could say, well, according to Scripture, what does it mean to know God? And how do you know that you know that you know God? How do you know that you know? That was almost my sermon title. How do you know that you know? There is a way. John is telling us how we're to know that we know. There are many who claim to have fellowship with God. Correct? There are many who claim to know God. Does everyone who makes a claim at knowing God actually know God? Do I know God? Have I truly come to genuine saving faith in Jesus Christ? And if so, how do I know? Well, he gives us the answer. So that's the second part of our Verse, this verse 3 here. So he says, and by this we know. Here's the answer. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So there's your answer. How do you know that you know God? It's very clear here. The way that you know that you know is if you keep his commandments. And so that's why it's very important for us to understand what is meant here by commandments. Is it specifically keeping the Ten Commandments? Because I bet for most of us in commandments, you, Ten Commandments is what we went to, right? So is John saying, the way that you know that you know God is by keeping strictly all the Ten Commandments in your life perfectly. And if you do, then you know God. Do you think that's what's being said? Well, we know that. So what is being said then? If that's not what's being said, what is being said? What does it mean to keep his commandments? I'd like to, just for a moment, talk about the Ten Commandments because it's important because this would have been John's basis for coming into this conversation about commandments. What do we know? Well, first, 
You may want to take a note about this if you're a note taker. Two classifications of Old Testament law. In the Old Testament, you're going to find two different large classifications of law. Casuistic law, apodictic law. Casuistic law is going to be basically be if-thens. If this happens, then this. It's like circumstantial. If someone breaks into your house in the middle of the night, then this is lawful. Okay? Or if someone commits this sin, then you are to do this in your midst. Right? So there's a bunch of if-then statements. It's, it's circumstance-based. That's casuistic law. Second is apodictic law, and that applies in all circumstances. It's not an if-then situation. It's an always situation. This is the law of God. Doesn't matter if this. Doesn't matter if that. It's always true. It's always true. So two large classifications of Old Testament law. But then we have three categories of Old Testament law. And those three categories are the ceremonial law, the civil law, the moral law of God. In ceremonial law, you need to think of the sacrificial system, the priesthood, things like this, ceremonial law, how God is approached, how we come to know God. And there were lots of laws regarding the ceremonial laws, correct? Lots of laws. Are you still keeping those today? Then how dare you break the commands of God? So why aren't we keeping those? If to know God is to keep his commandments, why aren't you keeping those? Those were commands. Why are you breaking the law of God? Well, we would think, well, we're not. So there must be a different type of law. Right. So maybe it's the civil law. But in the civil law, this was how the nation of Israel historically was to interact as a people on the planet. Right? Um, So, for example, taxes, their diet, charging interest, punishments, things like this. Okay? So we're not still doing those things today. Correct? So if we're not keeping the civil law, and we're not keeping the ceremonial law, then what kind of law and commands are we to keep? The moral law. The moral law transcends the ceremonial law and the civil law. It can definitely be found in it, but it transcends those things. goes in and through and beyond those things, right? So what kind of law are the Ten Commandments? The Ten Commandments can be broken into two, what are called tables, okay? Two tables of the law. And you can see them on the screen here, the first four and then the last. So you have one through four, five through ten, and uh, table one are the commands toward God himself, okay? So you have, uh, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make idols or worship them. You shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. You shall observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. These are all things toward God himself, But then the second table of the law switches and is based on your relationships with others. But it's the law of God. So there's two tables. There's that towards God, and then there's that towards others. And so this is honor your mother and father, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't covet, towards your neighbor. Okay? When Jesus is asked by the teachers of the law, to say, which is the greatest commandment that we are to keep? So if we, based on John, know God by keeping his commandments, and we know that in other parts of Scripture, Jesus summarizes the greatest commandments, shouldn't our ears perk up and say, well, so Jesus said this is the greatest commandment, 
So I probably should be keeping that if Jesus said it was the greatest. Well, what does he have to say? I have it on the screen for you. Matthew 22, 36 through 40. It says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Good question. And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. Okay, so what did Jesus just reference? The first table of the law toward God and the second table of the law toward your neighbor. So Jesus' summary is very simple. The summary of the law is this. Love God completely and love your neighbor as yourself. That's Jesus' summary of the law at this point for those questioning him about what the law means. Love God completely. Love your neighbor yourself. Why don't you just do that? Just do that. Just let's be done for today and let's just go do that and we'll do all that Jesus had commanded us. Just go and do it. And if you do it, then you will be accepted by God. Is that right? Love God completely. Did you love God completely? Even since you've been awake this morning? Have you loved God completely with everything that you are above and beyond everything that you know? You have loved God more than everything. Have you loved your neighbor as yourself even this morning? So if we haven't kept these, do we know God? Hmm. Let's take it one step further here. Paul talks about the commandments. Romans 13, 9 and, 9 and 10. What does Paul have to say about these? For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. Oh, this is good. You ready? Well, we like summaries. You shall love your neighbor as yourself because love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is a fulfilling of the law. What? Right. And so here's how that works. Put that next one, Caleb. Love is a fulfilling of the law. How? Well, if, if a person is loving God perfectly, he's not going to sin against him. Right? If a person is being loving perfectly toward others, he will not sin against them. Simply put, if I love you, I'm not going to kill you. If I love you, I'm not going to steal from you. Right? If I love God, I'm not going to have any other gods before him. Get the idea? So in this way, love truly is a fulfilling of the law. If you would just love as you should, you would be doing everything your God requires of you. So what's the problem? We can't. Our love is broken. There is only one who loves like God, and that is God himself. So does John speak about the commandments in a particular way? Is there anything in particular that John would have us understand about the commandments? I'll just take you to two places that John is talking about this specifically because remember, he's our author here in 1 John. John says in John 13, 34, and 35 this about the commandments. A new commandment I give you, and this is Jesus speaking. A new commandment. Whoa. So there's 11 now. You ready? 
There's, a, there's 11 commandments. Or is it new? Let's see if it's new. Here's the new commandment, that you love one another. Is that a new commandment? Didn't we just decide that loving neighbor was already part of the law? How is this a new commandment? Just as I have loved you, you're to love one another. By this, all people will know you're my disciples if you just love one another. But we already got that. that. We can already see that in the Old Testament. Why did you need to say that it's new? Actually, it is new. Here's how it's new. Go to that next one, Caleb. A new commandment I give you that you love one another. How? As yourself. Well, there's a different qualification. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. Do you see how that's different? Jesus calls us to love one another, not as you would love yourself, but as Jesus loved you, you are to love one another. Now, how great is the love of God in Jesus Christ for you? Infinitely great. Tell me, is that how you are loving others? And if you're not, then do you even know God? Do you see how deep John is leading us here? You're not doing these things. 1 John 3, 23. Now we'll, we'll get to it here. So this is the same letter we're in, but just a few, uh, the next chapter, he's going to say this. And of course, we'll say more about this when we actually get to it. But here's what he says. This is his commandment. Good. I'm ready. What is it? That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Just as he commanded us. So again, what is he saying? He's taking us back to the two tables of the law. What does it mean to keep his commandments? Go to that next one, Caleb. Believe in Jesus, that is toward God, and love one another, that is toward others. How is it that you are most faithful to God? How is it that you approach God? How is it that you come to him? How do you honor God? How do you show love to him? You can only do it one way. There's only one way to the Father. And how is that? By faith in Jesus Christ, by believing on him only. Believe fully on the Lord Jesus Christ. And as he has loved you, you also are to love one another in that same way. This is what our Lord is calling to us. First John 2, 4 and 5. This is next in our text. So we got that so far. But John is going to go a little, a little deeper with us. He says, And by this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. So we know what it means to know him. We know what it means to keep his commandments. Good. What comes next? Whoever says... I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. That sounds a little harsh, right? Actually, I, was, I, I told the elders this morning, I was, I was reading a commentary and I read lots of commentaries. But I, I read a commentary. Just because I read it doesn't mean I agree with it. Uh, but I like to see what others, other people think. Actually, 
Hearing what is not right actually helps you be more determinate and clear on what is right. But uh, what, what he's saying is, uh, this, this commentator, is that John is being too harsh here with his words. Is this harsh? You're a liar if you don't keep the commandments. That, that sits too heavy. But if we say that John is being too harsh, who are we saying is being too harsh? What? Yeah, whose word is this? Oh, okay. So if we're saying John is being too harsh, we're saying God is being too harsh. And is God being too harsh? Has he overstepped his authority? How dare you talk? Who, who do you think you are talking to me like that? Well, he's the only one who can say, well, I have every right. And so it may seem as though in our text that that's a little harsh, but these are God's words to his people whom he loves. And so sometimes the truth hurts. This is a way to love. In fact, it is the way that God loves us. How many of God's sons that he receives does he discipline? How many of them? All of them. That's right, because that's what a loving father does. And he is perfectly loving toward us. Perfectly loving toward us. What we can be sure of that's being said here is that not every profession of faith is genuine. Just because someone says, I know him, it doesn't mean that they do, you know. Just because you have said, I know him, does not necessarily mean that you do. But I hope that you want to know if you know him. How do I know that I know him? How do I know that my profession of faith is true? I've talked to so many people, and even some recently, that come to me and they say, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm, conf I'm confused. I don't know if I know. I'm confused if I know. I don't know. I don't know when I came to faith. I don't know if I came to faith. I'm very confused. How do I know that I know? What we can be sure of so far is that not every profession of faith is a genuine profession of faith. Because to know of God is not to know God. To know about God is not to know him as God. I recently told someone, and it's very true, that there is someone who knows a lot more about God than you do, but does not know him. His name is Satan. He's been in the presence of God. But it doesn't mean he knows him. Right? Does he have fellowship with God? Is he walking in the light? No, because that's what it means to be, to know him, right? To be in fellowship with him, and he is not, but yet he knows a lot about him. To know about God is not to know God. Are you sure that you actually know God, or do you simply know about God? Do we know him? Matthew 7, 21 through 23. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? 
And then I, this is Jesus, will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You claim to know me, I don't know you. You don't know me. This is a real danger that the Lord, by his grace, is protecting us by telling us that something is dangerous. Right? I I have to tell my kids all the time there's dangerous stuff in my house. Right? I keep the knives away from the edge of the counter, as I should. I tell them, don't touch that. That's hot. Don't put that in your mouth yet. It's hot. It doesn't mean they always listen. But as a loving father, I warn them about what's dangerous because I want them to know because I want them to be protected. Our father who loves us is warning us. Do you hear the warning? Not every profession of faith is genuine. Is your profession of faith genuine? Are you considering your faith this morning? Because you should. All of us should. Because John wants us to consider whether or not our confession of faith is genuine. Because not everyone who says, I know him, actually knows him. And so we go back to our text here. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. He's already made a very similar claim back in chapter 1. If you say you walk in the light while you walk in the darkness, you're a liar, right? Uh, If you say you have fellowship with God while you walk in the darkness, well, God is not in the dark, he's in the light, so clearly you're not living where God lives. And you're lying. You're lying to yourself. You're lying to God. You're lying to everyone around you. You're a liar. That seems harsh. It's a wake-up call. Do you see it? We should wake up. Have you ever needed a wake-up call? I'm worried about needing a wake-up call when I go on my trip. Amanda made me worried about it yesterday. Found out that I'm going to be staying in a room by myself. And she said, aren't you worried you're going to oversleep? (laughs) Well, I am now. I wasn't before, but now I am. Maybe I need a wake-up call. Because we are not perfect, and sometimes we need a wake-up call in our lives. Don't we? This is what God is giving us here. By his grace, he is giving us a wake-up call. Consider your profession of faith. So what's the second part talking about? That the truth is not in them, but whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. What might this mean? I'll give you three options of understanding this interpretation. What is the love of God here? The love that comes from God. The love that God has for his people. Or the love that the believer has for God. Now, these may seem to you, well, I don't, maybe we don't see the difference between them. But think about it. As we obey God, is the way that God loves us perfected? Does God's love need perfecting? He's trying to get the recipe right. And one day, uh, that's how I'm supposed to love you. Is that right? So that option two can't be right. Or the love that he has commanded us to love others, the love that, God, that comes from God, maybe that needs perfecting. Well, that's not right either because the love that comes from God is perfect and we're to give it to others. 
show it to others. That, that doesn't need perfecting. But there is something that does need perfecting, and it is the love that the believer has for God. That does need perfecting. The word perfect here means mature. And so it means to come into completion. So you get the idea of perfect there, don't you? Something that has come into full maturity, full completion is perfect in a sense, right? It's finalized. And so that's what this word means here is that when we love in a particular way or when we do something, the way that we love God is being completed. It's being matured. There's something that we should be doing as believers that unless we're doing it, the love of God is not being matured in us. It's not coming to completion. It's not being finalized. What do we need to be doing in order that the love of God might be matured in us, come into full completion? Because this is what he's saying. The love the believer has for God is brought to full maturity when it's expressed in love for others. And this is what John is telling us. If you love God, if you love God, and if you know, you know him and you love him, then the love of God is in you, right? Yes. So the way that you love God is by loving his people. And in, if you're not loving his people, then clearly the love of God that you're giving him, the love that you're giving God has some work to do, but it needs to be perfected in us. It needs to be matured in us. Let me maybe say this in another way. A genuine profession of faith is accompanied by love for God and his people. If you are not having love for God's people the way that Jesus loved you, then the love that you're giving to God is not yet fully come to maturity. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, am I loving God? Am I loving others around me the way that God would love me, the way that God has loved me, the way Jesus loves me? Is that the kind of love I'm giving? So here's, here's what you could do. You could say, yes, I love God. I love the word of God. I love worshiping God. I like that part. I don't like people. I don't like church. I don't like conversations. I don't like oh, how different people are. I don't like dealing with the mess of people. I don't like that. And I don't want to deal with that. So give me God, and that's enough for me and I'll love him. But what's being said here is, if you neglect the children of God, you are neglecting God himself. So are we, if we love God, if we know God and we love him, are we giving our lives to the love of one another? Because we should. I was going to go on a little discourse there about how important the church is in this. I'll give you a, a shortened version of it. But how are you to love the church of God who are his people if you are not with the people of God? I love that so many people are here this morning. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so, I'm so glad that you're here. But we have an opportunity today not to just simply sit in our seats and listen to a sermon or sing songs 
That's great. That's definitely part of our gathering. But you are missing out completely if you think that you are here to simply receive and not give. Actually, the word worship means to give worth. It means to give, not to receive. If you are here to worship, then give. Give your life. Give love to other people. Give encouragement to other people. Show them that you love them the way that Jesus loves you because if you love God, this is what you will be doing. Love the people around you. Talk to them. Don't ignore them because you love them. Why? Because I love God. Is it hard to love people? You can be honest. It's okay. Go ahead. There you go. Yes. Eventually we get, yes. It's okay. We can admit that. Is it hard to love people? Yeah. You know the answer is yes. Uh, you're sitting there with blank stares on your face, some of you. But you know that the answer is yes. It, because relationships are messy. Relationships are hard. It's hard to love. Was it hard for God to make the choice of love to a rebellious people who did nothing but disobey him and deserved his wrath? He loved us in the midst of our sin. That's the way Jesus loved you. Are you loving others even in the rebellion? Even when they're not the nicest person to you? Even when they didn't acknowledge you? I walked right by you, didn't even look at me. So I'm not going to look at you for the rest of my life. So I, you know, we need to be treating people selflessly, loving them, inconveniencing ourselves, sacrificially giving of ourselves to others to love them. God sacrificially gave of himself to love us, which means necessarily that we need to sacrifice ourselves to give love to one another. If you love God, if you know God, this is how you will be loving him, by loving his children. Are you loving God's children the way you should? Do any of us need work in that area? All of us, right? There's no one who's yet arrived. So it's okay because we're all in this together, aren't we? I hope we are. That's my... That's what I assume, that we're all in this together. There is none of us more worthy than another. We're all in this together to show love to one another. Why? Because we know God and we love him. Therefore, he has called us to love one another. All of us. Let's look at this last section here. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Somewhat of a reiteration there, right? That's kind of how John operates, right? Didn't we learn that? He's going to say things in different ways to prove his point from different angles. This is a way that John writes. It's a way that God used to communicate to us by impressing these things from different angles over and over again. Yes, he's doing that. And we're thankful that he did that because I need things reiterated. I need things from different perspectives. It helps. It helps us all. We all need to know this. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides or he remains or he is with God, remaining in God, ought to, should, ought, that's a good word there, ought, it actually means to be constrained under compulsion to walk in the same way in which he walked. 
So this is the assurance of our genuineness of our profession of faith in Christ, isn't it? Is that if we say, I am in Christ Jesus, I have fellowship with the Father, I am a true believer, then okay, great. Good, so this is true of you, that you walk in the same way in which he walked. What's that word walk mean? It just means our life, our way of behavior. You behave yourself in the same way in which Jesus behaved himself. How did Jesus behave himself? He's pretty obedient, I think, right? He was somewhat obedient to the Father. Was he perfectly obedient to the Father? Was he always bowing to the Father's will? Well, absolutely. Are we always perfectly obedient? No. So aren't we thankful that we just talked about, so what do we do if you sin? If you say you have no sin, the truth is not in you. So he already covered that. We already talked about that together. So we're not asking for perfection here. God is not asking for perfection. If he was, what need of you, of a Savior, if you could be perfect yourself? We have a perfect one. We have perfect righteousness. It is Jesus Christ himself. Perfection is not required of you because we have the perfection of Jesus already reckoned to our account. But what is required of you, the believer, is kind of the same thing as just a genuine showing of your faith. We do not obey God so as to be accepted by him. No. We are accepted by God, and the result of that is loving affection towards him in obedience. We love him, we adore him, we know him, therefore our life is marked by obedience to him. It is not the other way around. If I want the love of God, then I have to obey him first to win his love. Wrong. Christ won his love for you. You don't have to win it yourself. And that's a huge relief off of us. We have the love of God. Here's what I'd like for you this morning. As we finish out our time together in this text this morning, I want you to, uh, to turn with me to one last passage and... Uh, it's some words by Paul that I think is appropriate for us to end our consideration of this particular text. So turn to 2 Corinthians 13. It says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless you fail to meet the test. Tell me this morning. In talking about genuine profession of faith versus false professions of faith, have you been taking this this morning as a warning to yourself to prove your faith true? I must improve my faith to be true. I want to show the world that I know him. I know him. I know that I know him, and I'm going to show you that I know him by loving you more than you love me. That is how I'm going to show you that Jesus Christ has loved me. 
The way that I show you I love you is a reflection of how much I believe the Savior to have loved me. And so I want to show you. But Paul is telling his readers in Corinth, examine yourselves. I I think that's appropriate here. I think John is leading his readers to consider their profession of faith by by means of self-examination. This isn't this morning about looking outside and saying, okay, who in my life now can I evaluate and say, I don't know if you actually know God or not. I think you do, but you're not showing me that you know God. And you make it about people outside of yourself. What is more appropriate a response is that we make this about us this morning. We make the application internal and that we examine ourselves. Am I proving to the world that I know God by the way that I am loving God and being obedient to him and by the way that I am loving his people? Is it evident by my love that I know God? God is love. In him is no darkness at all. Is my life marked by love? Or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? That is, unless you fail to meet the test. What might this test be? The test of joyful obedience to a loving father who has saved you. I wonder if you can just think with me as we, as we kind of close our thoughts here. I did some research um, on how to distinguish between genuine and false professions of faith. And there may have been some merit to that. Ultimately, you realize that no one can tell you whether or not you are truly, genuinely a professing believer, right? You realize that you can't come to me for confirmation of that. Say, am I, am I, can you tell me uh, if I am really a believer or not? I don't know. But God knows your heart. I mean, if you don't believe certain things about God, I can say definitely no, because you don't even know what the gospel is. So if you don't know what the gospel is, you can't know who Jesus is, and Jesus is your way to the Father. So if you're asking me if you know him, I'm saying no, because you don't know Jesus. It only makes logical sense. So I can tell you no for sure, but I cannot tell you yes for sure, because it's a matter of the heart. I wonder this morning, are you examining the content of your heart, your true motivations? God wants this morning what? Your works? Your money in the offering box? Your attendance at Sunday morning service? You to go home and read your Bible for three hours this afternoon? What does God require of you? That you know him and that you love him and that you love his people. And if you know him and if you love him, these things of obedience will follow out of love. Is that the way your heart is wired toward God this morning? Or is it more about information that I know about God? I know him, I know about him, and I'm here this morning because I think that's what God wants from me. Or are you here this morning because 
You have such a love for God, you have a love for his word. You have such a love for God, you have a love for his people. And you have such a love for God that you can't help but sing with God's people. You have such a love for God, you want to support his church. You have such a love for God, I want to be here to make sure and love people. I want to get out of my way and be here so that I can encourage other people. I want to make sure that I'm here so that I can give of myself to hear someone who's been having a hard week and I can encourage them in Christ. I am here to give love to God and to his people. How did it ever get to the place where church is something that you just come and you watch a show? How did it ever become that? Church is not about watching a show and being entertained and then going home. And that is why church can never be an online experience. Why are you here this morning? Is it out of love for God and for his people? Is this the pull of your heart? towards your God. In other words, do you know him? Let's pray. Lord, we come and we are in awe of you and your love for us, your great love for us, your sacrificing love for us. that even when we were yet in full rebellion against you, in the midst of our sin, you yet came and so loved us that you sent your only son. God, we're so thankful for your love for us, your mercy and your kindness toward us. And we know that these things are meant to lead us to repentance. I pray for the hearts of the people here today that we would be repentant of our sin, that we would acknowledge and confess our sin to you. That's what you've called us to do, to see if there is any darkness yet remaining in us, which we know is there. And yet the light of the gospel, your word is going to shine on our dark lives and expose those areas of darkness. And although sometimes uncomfortable, what you call us to do is confess it, meaning that we acknowledge that our sin is what it is. We acknowledge to you that you have called it sin, and so therefore we must call it sin. And this is our confession of sin in our lives. I pray that you would show us, show us as individuals, show us as a church, our sin, that we might acknowledge it as sin and that we might repent of it, that we might be faithful to you. Lord, I pray for us that we would begin even now living a life that is marked by love. Because if we know you, We have love for you. And if we love you, our love is going to grow into maturity only when we are loving your people. So help us to love one another the way that you have loved us. And help us to do it with a heart that is just in awe of your love for us. It is not about winning your love. It's not about winning your favor. We already have that. We don't need to win it. But God, I pray that our heart and our actions is just an overflow of what you've called us to as believers. Let us shine as lights in the midst of a dark world. How are people going to know that we're disciples of Jesus? By our love. So God, help us to shine brightly. Help us to love one another. Help us to be here to give, to love, to love you and to love your people. I pray that we would do that even now as we all sing together. That we would be desiring to be the person next to us by affirming the words that we're singing are true. 
but also giving love to you by affirming that what we're singing is true and that we rely wholly on you. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.